Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this, well, at least in my neck of the woods, semi-rainy day, May 27th, 2023. We have been getting bizarre rainstorm-esque kind of, like, come in blasting, pouring down, hammering things, and then, hey, look, sunshine. Uh, it's... It, very bizarre weather in my neck of the woods. Uh, but uh, aside from that, you know, we're just about, we're wrapping up the the month of May. We're getting ready to head into June and summer is going to be right around the corner. And that's going to be completely miserable weather for poor Rich down there in Mississippi. Uh, but we're gl- glad to be with you this week. A little bit, you know, shorter time between episodes. We dropped the last one, of course, this last Monday, which quite a few of you have listened in uh, into and shared. So thank you for that. Uh, hope that it was helpful to you. Hopefully that will be helpful to those of you in marriages looking to become married. And hopefully the article that went with that has also been very helpful to you. It sure seems like it's been making the rounds and uh, we're very grateful for those of you who shared it and, and turned other people toward it. Uh, I had one of our brothers online say that the article itself, that the, the church was going to use it, I guess, to, to hand off to... Uh, soon to be married couples or marital counseling. And that was, that was, uh, well, honestly, that was shocking. Uh, I didn't think it was that good, but apparently it was very helpful to them. So we, uh, we pray that it ministers to a great many people. And, uh, to those of you that heard it, we hope it is a blessing to you as well. Uh, want to remind you once again, of course, we are part of Christian podcast community. Always encourage you to check out the various podcasts on there. And once again, we would love for you to sign up to follow our website at slavetothekeng.com. Our hope is to uh, continue to put more content on there. I'm really trying to get more consistent with writing. I've had both Rich and then, uh, well, uh, one of my pastors even suggested doing what we are starting to see happen more of, which is taking articles and then not only posting them as something to read, but maybe record them and put them on the podcast as something that you can uh, you can follow and listen to. If that's something that you guys would benefit from, I know, for example, G3 Ministries does that. You can read the article, or you can click a button on the, on the page and have it be read to you. Um, if that's something that would benefit you guys, let us know, and we'll try to figure out the best way to do that. I want to be somewhat careful because I have to figure out Anything we post here go, uh, onto Podbean goes right out into the podcast rotation. I don't want to create too much confusion, so I'd have to figure out how to do that. But if you think that would be helpful to you, uh, sure, please you know, reach out to us. You can email us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. We'd love to uh, hear from you on that. And then uh, we'll figure out if it's, if it's something that all of you would like. Uh, hey, I don't always have a time to read the article, but I'd love to hear what it says. So yeah, please record it. Then yeah, shoot us an email or reach out to us on social media. Uh, you can find us through the uh, Slave to the King website. And we'd love to hear back on that. Uh, Rich was the first one who presented it to me. And Rich, I didn't tell you this, but my pastor happened to mention that to me last night when I was talking to him. He thought that would be <laughs> a neat idea. I'm like, wow. Now, see, if I was somebody who t- took uh, scripture completely out of context and... Um, just applied it however i go oh look out of the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter is confirmed that's not how that worked but uh still interesting nonetheless that <laughs> it was mentioned twice so anyway thank you guys uh for all of that and uh, please let us know what you think about that idea so as always rich i just want to check with you how you doing this week brother better than i deserve as always brother 
I would like to pre-apologize to our listeners for this episode. I'm dealing with a really, really bad case of allergies, and I'm all snurfly and kind of itchy eyes and runny nose and all the fun stuff that goes along with it. So if I spit and sputter, call for whatever tonight, I'd like to pre-apologize. I'm going to do my best to keep my microphone muted other than when I'm talking so I don't have to make our listeners suffer through my backfiring and spitting and sputtering, so to speak, <laughs> and coughing and whatnot. But um, as always, but brother, I'm better, far better than I deserve. Um, going into tonight's episode, we're going to try to keep this rather tight. And as briefly as we can, and as biblically as we can, we're going to look into something that's probably a word in the Bible that needs to be examined through the lens of Scripture, maybe more so than most any others, and that word is simply love, L-O-V-E, because there are so many misconceptions, both within and without the Church, about what love Mm -hmm. truly means. Um, If you look at the worldly definition, more times than not, it means to accept someone as they are. That is the basis of how to define worldly love. When we go to looking at biblical love, it gets a little bit more complicated because the Bible uses the word love in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why examining the Scriptures according to the Scriptures is paramount to understanding both the doctrinal statements, the theological statements, and the biblical statements as how love is defined in a particular verse. I'm not going to go through all of them, but one of the ones that I see misapplied the most as it applies to people trying to twist the Word of God into the worldly meaning, they will quote, well, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got to be accepting and tolerant of everyone, no matter what religion they are, no matter what nationality they are, no matter what they believe, no matter who they claim to love, no matter what gender they claim, no matter who they claim to be married to, etc., etc. But truly and really, is that what is meant by love your neighbor as yourself? And, And three terms in the New Testament that recur over and over again is brotherly love, godly love, and neighborly love. And then, of course, we have loving your wife, which encompasses all of them, but more specifically on on my portion of tonight's discussion, I'm going to focus on what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And in context, many of the scriptures that we may quote tonight, when it talks about brotherly love and loving as Christ loved, Christ laid down his life for the church, it gets a little complicated, but in most cases, we're talking about filio, not agape. There's two completely different understandings in those two words. Filio does not apply when it comes to loving your neighbor, but I'll let you take it from here, brother, and I'll chime back in in a moment. Absolutely, and and there's a reason we're kind of covering this tonight. Is um, I don't really want to give this guy any attention, so I'm not going to say where on Twitter I, I stumbled across this. I, I, folks, let me just preface this. There are some people that are firebrands that will post the worst possible 
uh, Christian takes so that we as biblical Christians will respond so that they can boost their uh, their nonsense in the algorithm because more interaction means more people see it. So take that in, uh, into account when you see people. It's like, I haven't seen this person before, but boy, they're really that's a really terrible take, so let me respond. We, we have a, a bad habit of spotlighting bad heretical teachers, which is exactly what they want. They want attention. But I stumbled across this one a while back, threw it into, um, into my bookmarks on Twitter, just because I knew it was a topic that would be worth discussion. And this individual had once posted, uh, when choosing a hill to die on, choose love, not theology. And then he quotes John 13, 35, um, which is you know where Christ commands his disciples to love one another. And uh, I'll, I'll go, whoops, I keep hitting the wrong button. I'm going the wrong way on, <laughs> on my screen here. But on John 13, 35, you know, Jesus says, um, actually he says start in 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So he actually rather misquotes it because he uh, says, this is how everyone will know you are my disciples when you love each other. I Maybe he used the message version. I don't know. But um, it, it the, it's 34 and 35. But the interesting aspect is that he says, choose love, not theology. First and foremost, that's a theological statement. Um, you quoting from Scripture that a commandment from Christ to love one another as Christians. And then to then say, well, you choose that over theology. Well, you can't. You're actually making, let me just point that out right up front, you're making a theological statement. You're taking something Jesus said and you're commanding a doctrinal application. You're, you're talking about ortho, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. This is what was said, this is what you're to do. And so when someone wants to tell you, oh, we don't, we don't dwell on theology or you're too, you're too concerned with theology, we just love people, first and foremost, they just made a theological argument. You cannot get out of it. I, I love the fact that our good friends, uh, Chris Huff and Drew Vanita, have an, uh, a, a podcast called Matter of Theology, and it, it's because everything is a matter of theology. Everybody has a theological basis. Everybody has a theological argument. Um, I think it was R.C. Sproul that said, everyone's a good theologian. Essentially, the, what he got, was getting at is, you're either a good theologian or a bad theologian, but you all, every one of us has theology. And theology is our knowledge of God. It's what we believe about Him. It's about what motivates us to do what we're supposed to do. So theology encompasses everything. For someone to tell you, die on the hill of love, not theology, they are engaging in theology. That's It's a completely self-refuting statement. It is a nonsensical statement. It doesn't exist. You're, you're dealing with theology when you make a statement like that. So let, let's just address what he says. Okay, he talks about Christ's commandment in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, so are you you are all, are to love one another by all this by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another well what is it that demonstrates Christ's love how does he 
love his disciples. Well, let's go two chapters further. Chapter uh, 15, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So again, he, this is this is all coming out of that same you know, uh, you know, uh, message to the disciples. We are talking about this is the Last Supper. This is when you know, getting, you know, we're talking about going to the cross, and he says, "This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you." Verse thirteen: Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Hey, there's a theological statement. So he was laying down his life for his friends, and we are his friends if we do what we are commanded. No longer do I call you servant for the ser- servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for that I uh, for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. So he's laying down his life for his friends. What what is it that um, we're talking about here? It's where Scripture tells us that. God's love was manifest in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, let me, uh, let's see here. Romans, yeah. Romans 5, 8. Let me get to the right uh, part here. And actually, we'll back up to verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when Christ is saying to his disciples, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes a little bit further in chapter 15 and says, Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And by the way, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Then Paul writes to us that God's love was for us is was demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is tied to what Christ did for sinners. So when this individual who has been known to, you know, who has pronouns in his bio who has bemoaned the fact that Christians are so anti-LGBT, that we are unloving, we're hateful to these individuals, etc. This is somebody who, it's, it's, a, it's a constant refrain on their particular Twitter page. Rich just said it a minute ago. It's, oh, if you love somebody, if you love that person, then you're going to take them as they are. You're just going to accept them. Uh, Rich had sent me something earlier, and uh, it was very interesting. Uh, let me see. Where did that... Let's see. I found it, and then I lost it. Let me find it again. But um, Rich had sent this to me earlier that was very interesting, where the an article in Cosmopolitan makes a point of saying, love... Loving someone is about accepting them for who they are, explains the psychosexual relationship therapist and psychotherapist Sarah Calvert. Even the things that you might not necessarily like about them, such as uh, how a mess they are, loving someone means even loving them in mundanity. Wow, that's a big word. Of your day-to-day life together and building a real commitment to love the other person. So love is this emotional connection 
of just acceptance. And in a, the entirety of this article, of course, is in, in terms of the LGBTQ sexual love, and therefore you're going to accept people as they are. But Christ describes his love as a sacrificing love, a love that says, you have warred against me. I have died to make the payment for your sins. Therefore, repent, put your faith in me, and then demonstrate that same kind of love that calls people out of their sins to Christ in a sacrificing way. Love is actually not just leaving people where they are and telling them, I accept you as you are. But Christ's love, the one that this individual is, is citing from, is a sacrificing love that actually paid the price for sinners. And so while we can't die and pay the price for them, we can potentially even sacrifice relationships if, we, if, it, if it was necessary to bring them to Christ because their sins have put them at war. And the way they experience Christ's love is through repentance and faith in him. Right, Rich? Absolutely, brother. And it goes back again to, in those passages, what type of love are we discussing? Um, three primary types of love the Bible speaks of in the New Testament, as I said earlier, was filio, agape, and now in this article they're addressing eros where we get the word erotic, where once again the world is twisting a blessing given to man and woman in the bonds of holy matrimony. Eros is passion. Eros is, is wanting that intimate, very deep sexual type of love. Sadly, the world equates lust or erotic feelings towards another person. Mm -hmm. They define that as love. You know, because they'll say, well, if I really love this person, whatever. Sadly, what they're misunderstanding is the difference between their lust, their passions, versus what biblical love actually is. I, and you probably have come across this over the years just like I have. Well, even, and this is, applies to both homosexual, heterosexual, lesbian, whatever label, but... Well, we really love each other, and we're living together, and that's all that matters. Well, no, it, you can't claim that and be a Christian at the same time, because if you're a Christian, your first desire should be to submit to the Word of God. God says sexual relations outside the bonds of holy matrimony, as he defines matrimony from the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation, that is the only type of eros that is acceptable in the eyes of God. That is the only type of passionate sexual desire that is acceptable in the eyes of God. That is that type that is between a man and a woman. The world embraces eros in the sense that, well, as long as we're making each other happy, that's all that matters. And you're being hateful if you don't condone and support our definition of love. And that's really what it comes down to. Everyone has their own opinion of what love means outside the Word of God. But when you go to the Word of God, it's not enough to read the word love. We need to drill down and understand the meaning and the context behind a particular verse. Because what you were talking about, 
the way Christ sacrificed himself for the church is agape love, it's self-sacrificing love that goes beyond and is even deeper than brotherly love. But let's turn just a moment and look at the, another verse that they twist and try to use to justify their claims that, well, if you love me, as the Bible says, you must accept me as I am. Let's look at what neighborly, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't mind, brother, would you read that verse that we I told you about Yes. in pre-show? Yeah, we're talking Leviticus 19. I think we started in verse 9, as I recall. And this is, of course, the commands to Israel and uh, the, the various laws that they were under. And as, uh, as we finish up this particular passage, you'll hear this uh, the verse Rich is talking about. And it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the, your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. Excuse me. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. Excuse me, stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Thank you, brother. Um, and this is the exact verse Christ was referring to in, in Matthew and the other Gospels. When Christ says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is what Christ was referring to. Now, we could pick apart these verses and gain a lot of insight from them. But one thing you must notice and take from this is that loving your neighbor would including would include sharing with the poor and the visitors in your land. But it means doing it with compassion and absolute honesty and justice in our relationship with others. And we must be impartial in doing that. A refusal to be a party to gossip or slander an absence of malice toward anyone and a refusal to bear a grudge, taking care never to put another's life at risk and never taking private vengeance upon another. It's also interesting to note that when we have an issue with anyone, we should strive to make it right by going to him or her directly. James calls this the royal law. Our Lord taught that we should do to others as we would have them do unto us. But in Christ, we're to actually even go beyond that, because to truly love our neighbor means to lovingly share and proclaim the good news of the gospel, to proclaim biblical truth to them, because true believers have been forgiven 
and we possess and we possess eternal life, and we have blessings forever as a result of others who have shared the gospel with us. God's love is evidence in us when we communicate this precious gospel and love others as we have been loved. Truly loving others, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, means to go beyond the worldly comforts. It means to do what Christ commanded, seek first the kingdom of God, to truly love someone else, to truly want to see that person saved is a neighborly form of love because that is the greatest love we could ever exhibit towards another person, regardless of what their sin is, whether it be homosexuality, sexual immorality outside the bonds of marriage, addiction to pornography, addiction to lying, addiction to alcohol, drugs, whatever. Our greatest desire should see that should be to see that person saved as we have been saved and forgiven in Christ because their greatest reward would be in eternity. And true, we're to feed and help the poor, but if you notice in the passage in Leviticus, even then, we're not to show partiality towards the poor any more than we're to show partiality towards someone that's rich and influence has a lot of influence and has a lot of power. We are to be balanced in our dealings with others. And that is essential when it comes to not lying to that person that which Christ forbids in the Gospels, which Christ is referring to in, in this passage. And the greatest lie we could ever commit against someone, the greatest sin we could commit against someone, is having the opportunity to proclaim the Gospel to them and not doing it because out of their definition of love, we must be accepting of their sinful lifestyles, but yet we are contributing to that self-lie that they're already under because of Satan. So is it more loving to proclaim the gospel to that person or to affirm their lie that they're living in under Satan, which would be a better demonstration of loving your neighbor, sharing the gospel with them or allowing them to be comfortable in their sin, brother? Now, obviously, sharing the gospel with them and giving them the the hope of salvation in Christ is the most loving thing because it, what it boils down to is people like this individual, and there were a whole host of uh, comments, some of which were, praise God, saying, you just made a theological statement and uh, might... The theology informs us but what God's love is. Praise God for the comments like that. Others were like, oh, this is so beautiful, and yes, we should, you know, it's better to be wrong with compassion than to be right and be uh, be a jerk kind of thing. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> what is actual compassion? What is actual love? We have to go to the scriptures to understand that. And as you wonderfully pointed out, the most loving thing we can do is preach the gospel. And it's it's funny that you you will often hear, oh, you're not being loving. We have to love and 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 show people how loving Jesus is. We we can't condemn people. Now remember, it is to Peter and the rest of the apostles that Christ gave this commandment. And when he ascended into heaven, and the day of Pentecost came, and they preached to the people about Christ. You go to to Acts chapter three. Uh, and, and start in verse 37, 
Now, when they heard this, this is the people listening to the, the apostles, especially specifically Peter, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, well, here, just come on in and let us love you. No, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Right there, the first message of the early church pre preached um, was to repent. That we are to repent of our sins. He preaches to them who Christ is. He preaches to them that Jesus will one day come again and will make his enemies his footstool. He preaches to them, you crucified him. And they hear this message of condemnation. And what is the loving th response to saying, what do we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, okay, well that's preaching to uh, the people who weren't Christians yet. Uh, but, you know, there are people that claim to be Christians and they, they live a certain lifestyle that you don't like, and, but you're supposed to be loving because they're Christians. Okay, let, let's talk about that for a second. Go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writing to the Galatians, But when Cephas, this is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James for when before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when they drew back and separated them uh, himself or when they ca uh, came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, G uh, Peter fell, uh, fell in with the crowd of Judaizers for a moment, fearing a loss of reputation, fearing of how he appeared, fell in step with the Judaizers, which was leading them back to the law, which is the whole point of the book of Galatians, don't go back to the law. You are in Christ. To go into the law is to be condemned because the law condemns you. It reveals your sin, but it cannot save you. And so what does he do? He rebukes Peter publicly, a brother in Christ. He rebukes him. It is a call to repentance, leading people away from the purity of the gospel. He was in sin at that moment. Paul calls him, to repentance. We are called to judge within the church. We are called to judge righteously. Um, oh, goodness, where is that? Let me look again. Uh, Jesus tells us to judge righteously. And I got, I got, I got so all these verses in front of me, and I suddenly have had a, a, a mind wipe. Uh, but <laughs> bear with me. But um, we are called to judge even within the church, to judge with righteous judgment. Uh, yeah, John 7, 24. That's where I'm at. Okay, bear, bear with me, folks. I we're, hey, uh, I don't know if he'll hear this, but hey, Daryl, we're turning pages here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll love that. So John 7, 24. Uh, 
he tells us, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You know, uh, this is when Jesus is in, in, talking, uh, it's during the Feast of Booths. We go back up to first, verse 14, and about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do, uh, to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking my own, on my own authority. Now, interesting. Stop there for a second. This is the we we're being told if you're gonna you know if you're gonna die on a hill, die on a hill of love, not theology. But what is Jesus doing right here? He's expositing. He's talking about the will of God, the word of God. He's doing theology here. He's doing theology. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one uh, the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered, uh, answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the father's. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because uh, on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, he had healed on the Sabbath. And he's pointing to the law, which said, you circumcise on the eighth day, Sabbath or not. And that's, that was a work to be done. And you had to circumcise according to the law. And yet, because he healed, well, that looks like work to us. You're sinning. No, he says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, judge according to the word. Judge according to the will of God. And so this is this, this thing over and over again that love is that which brings us in alignment with the word of God. It is what tells us we are disobeying God. We need to repent of our sin. We need to turn to Christ. And the most loving thing in the world is to bring someone in right step, right reconciliation with Christ. And the problem is, of course, Rich, is, is what we're seeing, as you have pointed out you know, now a couple times, the world says, well, what I really want you to do to be loving is to allow me to live my life the way I choose because that brings me pleasure. And if you tell me I'm wrong, if you tell me that's a bad thing, then you're not loving me. What they're really saying is love, I am the one who defines it. I'm the one who decides what love is. And love is that which makes me feel better. Love is not which that is not that which puts me in right relationship with Christ. Absolutely, brother. And even with the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, we still are under obligation first and foremost to the first and foremost and primary commandment under the law of love, under the law of Christ, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. That is to take the top priority in every aspect of our life. And in doing that, submitting to that type of love, to God's agape love, 
seeking first the kingdom of God, first we must seek and pray and beg Christ to grant salvation to this person. Now, a lot of people, and that gentleman in particular that we have in mind that has decided for himself that his definition of love, like so many others, that is the only definition that matters, and they're casting aside the rest of Scripture because the first objection is always, well, judge not, judge not, judge not, because we hear that almost daily mm-hmm. when dealing with these types of people. But there's another portion of this that is completely forgotten in these conversations, which has direct application under when Christ says, judge with righteous judgment. That, that portion that you read was a great example. I actually had a different verse in mind from Matthew, but both of those actually still go back to what you read from Leviticus when it talks about judging with righteous judgment. Um, turn your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses, excuse me, James chapter 4, verse 4. James says, love not the world or the things of the world. Love of the world makes us an enemy with Christ. Now, I've I've kind of paraphrased that just a little bit, but um, when James is saying, do not love the world or the things of the world, we, we need to look at that and ask, well, what does friendship with the world look like? How can we be sure we're not setting ourselves up to be enemies of God? Because the world will claim, you must love me as I decide what love is, but our greatest commandment first is to love God, and to do that, we have to make a judgment call as to whether a person is walking as an enemy of God or if they're walking as a child of Christ, because not everyone who claims the name of the Lord is going to actually be in the Lord, because Christ himself makes that distinction when he's talking about false converts, when he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out many demons in your name and do mighty, do many mighty works in your name? And Christ will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. That's in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? Well, pursuing friendships with the world, first, the danger is it puts us at odds with God and disfellowship and grieving the Holy Spirit by embracing things that God forbids, by embracing sin that God commands us to do away with. Such things would be, um, well, one clear indication that we've made friends with the world is our behavior. If we're, are, you know, we need to ask ourselves, are we acting like the people of the world? Do we quarrel, covet, and fight? Do we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in our hearts? Do we boast and deny the truth? The key word there being truth. Do we find disorder in every evil practice in our lives? Or instead, do we display deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom? Are we peace-loving, considerate, submissive? full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Friendship with the world rubs off on our character. The Bible says, uh, I can't remember the exact verse because it just popped into my head and I didn't have it in my notes, but um, 
bad company ruins good morals. And one of the things that the world embraces is the worldly definition of love, which is not the same as God's definition of love. Because the world says, you must accept me and love me as I am. Well, first thing, God does not accept anyone and approve them in their sin. We, we're, he loves us in spite of our sin when he grants us salvation. But there's a difference, and people don't seem to understand it or talk about it these days. There's a huge difference between divine grace and saving grace. Prior to salvation, God loves the whole world in the fact that we're under, even sinners are under his divine grace. But once we're saved, we go a step higher. We're, we're embraced and accepted by God in agape love, in saving love, and are commanded for that same type of sacrificial love in our life towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially towards Christ himself, because in order to love God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength means to not only love what Christ loves, but it also means to hate what Christ hates. And hating sin means fighting against sin in our lives and in the lives of others by rebuking them, rebuking them, calling out their sin, calling them back to Christ, proclaiming the biblical way of salvation to the individual. But as Christ commands, we're to do this in humility and love, not with a sledgehammer beating it over the top of their heads. Sadly, many who profess to be Christians do come across as hateful to some of those within the LGBTQ communities. They're not helping the case any when they, they call these people, you know, vile names. They're adding to the offense of the gospel. The gospel does not need anything added to it because the gospel in itself, as mm -hmm. declared biblically, is offense enough to those outside of Christ. Does any of this make sense, brother? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And, and for those who, just so, because Rich couldn't remember the, uh, the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Absolutely. Uh, just Thank wanted you. to make sure we, uh, we had that in there. Um, the, the interesting thing is the, the attitude of love from a worldly definition. It's usually a very emotionally laden love it's uh it's how it makes people feel it's uh making uh, sure a person has an, a, a sense of acceptance a sense of care but it, it always comes back to how i feel about something yet christ described it differently you know that same section of scripture in john uh, you know, we we started in thirteen. We were went over to fifteen. That same passage or section of scripture where Christ is talking to the disciples about the commandments He's giving them. You know, you go to uh, chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then He speaks about the the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Helper. But then He continues on and He says. Uh, in verse, let me look here, verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I will love my, him and manifest myself to him. So, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You have my commandments, and if you're keeping them, you demonstrate your love for me. And if you're loving me, then you have the love of the Father and the love of myself. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And again, he speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit, this indwelling. The love of Christ, our love for Christ is manifested if we are truly born again, if we are saved through the power of the gospel, if we are indwelt, we've talked about this before, if you are regenerated, made new, new creation, new heart, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, then your desire is to be obedient to Christ, to his commandments. This is the same section of scripture, bookended, chapter 13 and chapter 15, where he is saying, you, will, you are commanded to love one another in the way that I have loved you. And he's saying, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And then we see passage after passage in Scripture of the apostles speaking of, this is sin, this condemns you to hell, this is Christ, this is salvation, repent and believe in him. And we even see within Scripture where the apostles are correcting one another, Peter, Paul to Peter. It is this, this biblical love is demonstrated in our hatred for sin, our love for Christ, our desire to be in right relationship with him, and to walk as he has called us to walk. And therefore, it pushes us then to go and preach the gospel to those who are in sin, because we want them to have the love of Christ. It is foolishness to focus on love in such a way that the only thing that matters is that they feel like you accept them as they are. Well, God does not, as Rich just said, God does not accept us as we are. If he, if he comes to us as we are, we're going to hell. That's the judgment of God. We will be condemned. Christ makes it clear. If you don't love him, you're not going to keep his word. And so if we don't keep his word, we're not going to have the love of the Father. So how do we keep his word? Well, we come to Christ in repentance and faith. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we desire to keep his word. So the wrath of God abides upon us. And so everyone who is out there living in such a way is they are despising the commandment of God. And they're going to, going back to, you know, we're going into quote unquote pride month. And I, I cannot, I cannot help but recognize the irony that we have an entire month on the calendar dedicated to sin. Because we call it pride. Pride, by the way, is sin. <laughs> you know, pride comes before a haughty spirit, haughty spirit before a fall. Our pride, it was the pride of Satan that caused him to be cast from heaven. It is the pride of man that causes him to go further and further into sin. I cannot, it just amazes me. And then to celebrate the, 
an entire month dedicated to the sin of pride and, and every despicable sexual sin that goes with it, what do we then do? Oh, let's decorate it with a rainbow. You know, that sign of God's judgment? <laughs> it is, it, it, the irony is so amazingly lost on them that they're basically staring at God and saying, we dare you. We dare you to judge us. Amazing. Utterly amazing. Uh, but we are going into a month. We're, we're watching the internet erupt as places like the the, you know, the department store Target. Look, we've said before, we're not necessarily the type to say, go boycott in this mass effort to force somebody to do things your way. I, I say to Christians, when somebody like Target goes out of its way to basically thumb its nose at you and say, you will accept and affirm and celebrate this despicable uh, display of sexual degeneracy, and we're going to give it to your kids, by the way. Uh, I think there's a, a, a reasonable expectation for Christians to go, yeah, we're not going to take part of that. And we can, we can even take it one step further. Instead of just being kind of snotty about it, we can say, and by the way, the reason we won't take part in this is that you are you know, leading people into sin. You need Jesus Christ. Let me share the gospel with you because you, uh, you, you people who are making these decisions are leading people to hell and you need to repent. So, But we're going into this insane season of let's celebrate and, and affirm everything degenerate and let's pour it onto little children and make them this way too. And they say, but by the way, if you don't accept it, you don't love. I, I, I can't imagine a more hateful thing for me to do than to tell someone who is living in sexual degeneracy, yeah, you're totally fine. Because what I've said is, my relationship with you is more important than an eternity in hell that you're about to spend. Because you could step out of life tomorrow. You, you can die of a heart attack. You could die suddenly. Different conversation for a different, different time. You could uh, you know, be in a car accident. You could have any number of things happen to you. And you could step out of this life and into eternity forever. And God will condemn you for your sin. But I didn't love you enough to warn you. Folks, that's hatred. How Pendulet, the, the, the atheist uh, magician, is on video saying, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them the truth? And, and he's talking about someone who witnessed to him. He, was, he had respect for the person who witnessed to him. How much would you have to hate someone not to tell them the truth? Uh, I'm paraphrasing. That, that came from an atheist. Now, he hates God. And unless he repents and puts his faith in Christ, he's going to go to hell, but he's heard the gospel. The man who shared it with them risked mockery from a, a famous atheist to tell him the truth. That was That's straight love. That's pure and straight love right there. And we're going into a month where everybody is trying to turn it on its head and say, no, love is to celebrate, affirm, and accept an entire month dedicated to hating God and hating his commandments. Now, yes, we speak the truth in love, which means we don't go be jerks for Jesus. 
Um, I'm with my brother Rich here. I don't think we need to add to the offense of the gospel by calling people uh, despicable names and um, and adding to the offense. But we speak the truth nonetheless, and that is love. And uh, as we're wrapping up here, Rich, uh, any last thoughts? Well, it, we, we, it, really, it all goes back to what Christ said. We're either a child of wrath or a child of righteousness. There's no in-between. You are either truly saved in Christ or you're still outside of Christ under the wrath of God. And what James wrote in his epistle could almost be considered a commentary on that verse because through repetition, James emphasizes that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to accepting these particular sins and embracing these sins along with these people. We are putting ourselves as enemies of God. With the same Greek word translated enmity in James 4.4, Paul denounces the worldly mindset. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, which is from Romans 8, 7 through 8. And granted, we're not being legalistic when we talk about submitting to God's law. We're talking about God's law of love, out of obedience, wanting to be acceptable in God's sight, wanting to pursue holiness, wanting to glorify Christ in every aspect of our life. We don't obey Christ. We don't obey God out of some feelings of we have to do this to keep our salvation or earn our salvation. The truly saved seeks to obey Christ out of loving Christ, out of being thankful for what Christ did for us in granting us salvation. And we must be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking we can live in close fellowship with God and at the same time set our hearts on the things of this world. We must remember what happened to Lot's wife, Luke 17:32. The Apostle Paul teaches Christians to cultivate a singular focus. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. So as we wrap this up, and as you, our listeners are going through and listening to this, you need to ask yourself, are you seeking first the things of heaven, or are you seeking to embrace and val- val- validate things of this world. If you're listening to this particular episode and you're supporting same-sex marriage, if you're supporting homosexuality or any of the other letters that associate with it, if you're supporting sexual immorality between a heterosexual couple, if you're supporting pornography, if you're supporting sex outside of marriage, if you are condoning these actions in family members or in your own life and you proclaim to be a Christian, I beg you to examine yourself to make sure you're truly in the faith. Because as Christ says, tomorrow's not guaranteed. In fact, 
two minutes from now is not guaranteed. At any moment, we could be taken from this earth. At any moment, Christ could return to this earth. And as Paul himself said, today is the day of salvation. Reach out and beg and plead to Christ to either grant you salvation or grant you assurance of your salvation by examining yourself against the lens of Scripture, against what God actually says. Strip away your own opinions, your own faults, what the world has taught you for your entire life, what media, what everyone around you is telling you and teaching you. Strip all that away and go straight to the Word of God. Pray before you open the Word of God and beg and plead and cry out to Christ to grant you understanding, to open your heart, to open your mind to His truth, to grant you discernment, to grant you understanding, and go through the Scriptures and search them out and see if what we're saying adheres to the Word of God, or ask yourself, are you adhering to the Word of the world? And as we go forward, for our brothers and sisters, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation, especially during a month that celebrates a sin that is condemned by God, that is embraced by the world, that twists and perverts God's meaning of love into something that is absolutely despicable in his sight. Brother, that's my closeout for tonight. Amen, brother. Amen. And what a powerful closeout. Folks, it's important to understand the difference between what Scripture refers to as love and what the world understands as love. The problem with how we understand love today is it typically is emotions lead our actions. So how I feel about it leads what I do. Instead, it should be contradictory to what this person posted on the online. In fact, a self-defeating argument, but it should be that God's word leads how we feel. And it is... Very hard sometimes, even as Christians, to do that. Look, the last couple of days for me were frustrating days, and there were points where I acted emotionally. I got upset, I got frustrated, I growled or I barked at something. You know, I was barking at the computer earlier because something wasn't working. Am I letting the Word of God lead me in how I should feel? No, because if I'm letting the Word of God deal, uh, dwell in uh, uh, my mind and my heart, I would recognize even those difficult circumstances are things that God is using to conform me to his image. Instead, I let my emotions lead me. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't be this way. Therefore, rah, we do it all the time. When, a, when it, On the issue of love, too often, even though we say, you know, even pe though people will recognize, oh, love is an action. It's what you do for someone. True, but you are still referring to it in an emotional sense because, well, to be loving to this person, no, you're worried about their emotional state. You were worried that they will feel something as opposed to them knowing the truth and that then leading how they feel. You're not loving someone when you tell them a lie. If you as a Christian say, well, I want to love people into the kingdom, love them, okay, fine. Love them by preaching the truth. Because it was you one day that somebody preached the truth to and brought you to that point where God 
regenerated you through the power of the Holy Spirit and you professed, uh, re you, you repented and professed faith because God used someone in your life to love you enough to tell you the truth. Therefore, be God's instrument to preach the truth to someone else in love because you want that, what you receive, that grace and that mercy of God, you want others to receive it as well. How, how selfish it is for a Christian to say, I was a beneficiary of someone's love because I had the gospel shared with me, but I will not tell someone to repent and turn to Christ because I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them emotionally. So you were a recipient of someone's love, but you will not return that love to someone else? That is selfish. And this is as important a time as we can imagine to proclaim the truth. That is actual love because it is God's word that then leads us in right practice, in right understanding, and then right emotional response. So do not let someone come to you and say, well, you're not a very loving person. No, if you're preaching the truth, you are far more loving than some heretic online who wants people to feel affirmed in their sin. That man or that woman has no love for anyone at all but themselves because they want to be seen as this champion. That's what they really care about. They love themselves. You show greater love by proclaiming the truth. Don't let somebody bamboozle you with such a false misrepresentation of God's love. Don't let them do that to you. First and foremost, if somebody says, well, you're too theological. Well, you just made a theological statement. Because <laughs> how could you know what, what is theology and what is good theology and bad theology and how can you know what love is and isn't if you don't, you know, if you don't understand the word of God? You're just spouting your own nonsense at that point. So you're just a bad theologian. You're still a theologian, but you're a bad theologian. <laughs> Be practitioners of good theology and let that lead your love for others and proclaim the truth to them. Thank you for spending time with us this week, folks. We hope this is beneficial. We hope this has been helpful to you. Uh, if you. If this is blessing you in some way, please let us know uh, just so that we can continue to, to help in some way. Um, it's been a while since I've asked this. If these episodes are helpful to you, consider leaving... Um, a review or a comment uh, in whatever platform you use because not because it matters to us. I mean, it was kind of interesting to, to, to review all those comments from the person who's like listening to all our episodes last week. That was interesting. But it's more about making sure that other people have an opportunity to see that there is something that they're gaining from this. And so a review or a comment helps people to know whether or not this is something worth their time. Uh, so consider doing that. Consider sharing the program. And then, uh, again, go check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. We will continue to try to put content on there. I really want to get more writing on there. Pray for my discipline. <laughs> and if there are things that would be helpful to you for us to write up uh, or do episodes on, then email us. Uh, like I said, slave to, or excuse me, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Or you can go to slavetothekeng.com and use the contact us page to do that there. And uh, I think that pretty much covers it. So thank you for spending time with us this week. 
Uh, we will. It's going into Memorial Day, so uh, please remember those who have given their lives ultimately in this life for the freedoms that you have, and uh, you know, thank God for the the people who have been willing to do so. But more than anything, the one who has given his life for the ultimate freedom is Jesus Christ. So be grateful to Him above all. Thank you again. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. God bless. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.